Well, this week I had the privilege of going to, well, it wasn't a privilege to go to Texas, but it was a privilege to attend um, an, a national gathering of some 900 sold-out believers from 40 different states um, to come together to pray. And it was, it was just, it was a, it was a little bit like drinking from a fire hydrant. So you imagine the struggle I'm feeling in my heart to know what to, how do I distill what the Lord's stirring in my heart? So can we just pray for a second? And I'll trust the Lord's going to help because I need it because I'm full. So Lord, we thank you for this day. We celebrate your unbelievable goodness. We celebrate your devotion to your church. We thank you for the covenant that you've made through your son, Jesus. It is the everlasting covenant. There's no turning back. There's no going back. So I ask now, as my spiritual father, Ron, used to always pray before he preached, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, it's always encouraging when you get to go to an event like that because you realize God's got sprinkle, people sprinkled all over this land who are walking with him, who love him, and who are foolish enough to believe that running after Jesus with no regrets and full abandonment, it is the only life for them. Yes. And it's just so encouraging. You ever, you ever been around someone who's just devoted? I don't care if it's devoted to sports or athletics or, if anyone been around someone who's just great at something and you just raise your hand, you, you've been around them and even if it wasn't your thing, you could appreciate their thing. It's because of their devotion that they gave themselves to uh, running or working out or art or whatever. And how much more so when we get around people who are just fully devoted to Jesus and what it does to you on the inside. It makes you want to go after him just like they do. Amen? Well, I just want to remind us um, of, a, of a truth this morning. When the children of Israel... God's people were delivered from Egypt. Did you know that the nations around them heard about the mighty hand of God? Did you know that? That the God who split the sea had a reputation among the nations. I mean, that's probably, with, even without internet, 
when a sea splits, it'd be hard to keep the news quiet. And so if you, if you fast forward 40 years, because those who saw the sea split and the water come from the rock that was struck and who ate manna for 40 years and quail up to their kneecaps from all around and got sick because they were mumbling and grumbling. God had to wait 40 years because even that was not enough for them to believe that he who started a work would be faithful to complete it. And so God leads them because did you know that our God is not in a hurry? No, some of us, do you understand that? That is a double-edged sword that our God is not in a hurry. That means he will outlast you and I's lifetime. So whether it's in our generation that he sees a bride that's pure and spotless, ready for his return, or it's the generation after us, he has no problem waiting. So 40 years, they wander, and it says literally the whole whole unbelieving generation died off. Holy moly. Can you imagine, my friend Eric Wilde always says this, can you imagine while they're waiting for the last old guy to die? (laughs) He's just sleeping, wait, is he sleeping? Someone go check it out, check it out. This is the last guy from the unbelieving generation. You know, (laughs) he's good, he's done. (laughs) Why? Because you will never enter the promise of God's inherited destiny for you by um, proximity, it has to be through faith. It won't be because you're hanging out with the right people, It won't because you saw with your eyes the mighty deeds of the Lord, the only way you will ever inherit the promise and we will become a part of that pure and spotless bride ready for the bridegroom to return. The only way that's possible is if you have faith that connects to his promises. And so for 40 years, I mean, this guy, the last guy finally dies and then finally God raises up a Joshua. Praise the Lord. And I'm thinking about Joshua chapter two when... Joshua sends the spies across the Jordan and they stay at a prostitute's house named Rahab. You ever heard of that person's name? And what does Rahab tell the the spies? It says that Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof as if to almost interrupt them. And she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land. And that a great fear of you has fallen on us. And all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. 
We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and we, and we saw what he did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, how you completely destroyed them. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone, say everyone, everyone's courage failed because of you. <laughs> for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. So hold on. Hit pause. Here is a representative of a person from a nation that does not belong to God's nation and God's people who have lost all hope of asserting their will and agenda and to continue their style and type of life in light of the God of Israel. Here is this woman communicating for an entire city saying, there is no one within these walls who have any courage left in their bones because we've heard about your God. No courage. It melted away because of the God who's leading you crazy Israelites around in the wilderness, fire by day, cloud by night. Sorry, cloud by day, fire by night. And I'm here to tell you that when the enemy is more aware of his certain defeat than the church is aware of our promised destined victory, even in spite of suffering and sorrow, there is a problem with that equation. And I'm telling you, we live in a day and an age where we don't believe like Rahab the prostitute that God is the God of heaven and he's also the God of the earth below. We don't believe it. We're fine with believing because of the enlightenment in the 1800s and 1900s that God is upstairs, he's doing his thing, and he left us to figure it out down here. But did you know that God is older than the 1800s and the 1900s, that the God is the God of the ancient of days? He has no beginning and no end. And even though the enlightenment and the birthing of the enlightenment was this man being smarter than God and that he's up there just doing his thing and we got, it, we got this God, I want you to know the word of the Lord today is that he is still the God of both heaven and the God of the earth below. And in my quiet time before the Lord, my heart was just gripped. It was like he just reached into my spirit and he said, Chatty, I'm not okay with the enemy being more aware of my power than my church. I'm not okay with it. I'm not okay with it. So praise God. Flip over to Psalm 66. I like this psalm. Did you know in Psalm 24, put your thumb in 66, Psalm 24 tells us that the earth, say the earth, is the Lord's. I want you to say it again. The earth is the Lord's. Who's the, who, 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 who owns the earth? Now, don't be trying to tell me, well, what about, you know, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 2, the God of this age, spirit of this world, or the God of this age, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. I mean, I understand that there is, some, there is a ruler who has authority because humanity gave him authority because of our sin. But did you know that by himself, he has no power and authority. He only gets it by what we give him. Do you understand that? When he was plucked out, he didn't have a choice in the matter. The God of the universe said, nope, I'm not sharing the glory. Boom, fell like lightning. Read Isaiah. So the earth is the Lord's. 
So let's just read a few of these verses. I like it. Shout for joy to God. Come on, somebody. All the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power. Here's the verse I want to press into for a sec. That your enemies cringe before you. Do you see that? You got to see it. So isn't it stunning that the sequence of those first three verses, the church is not out declaring war on the enemy and just doing spiritual warfare and getting all bogged down with how powerful the enemy is, how dark he is, how hopeless our nation is, and how you know, terrible the condition we are. What is, the, what is the people of God consumed with in this equation and in the sequence of this passage? They're consumed with the higher reality than the reality, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, that we can see with our eyes. They're fixated on the reality of the reality of God's domain, God's rule, God's reign and kingdom. They're singing out of that reality and the sequence of events is as the church keeps her eyes on Jesus, the victorious one, the God who is God of both heaven and the God of the earth below, the God who has in perfect plan that is unfolding on the earth and no one and nothing can derail, that if we would fix our eyes and use as much of our attention and affection and our efforts and our reading blogs and emails and letters, if we would shift the equation and just begin to worship the Lord for his glorious deeds and his might, I'm telling you, the enemy gets empowered when we operate in fear because that's his MO, but when we operate out of the glories of our God in Christ Jesus and his intended plan for his world, I'm telling you, the enemy begins to cringe before the Lord. It's as if when the church, when we're seized with fear, we fuel the lie that Satan himself is believing that he still has hope. When he looks at us and he sees a church that is shouting for joy to God and a people that are just fixated on singing the glory of his name. And you know that's more than just his name. His name is his nature and his character. So you could sing that song for a long time. The song of, of his nature, of his person, of his deeds, of his character. Did you know what happens when we say to God, I was doing this in my office earlier this morning, how awesome his deeds are. Did you know that God knows his deeds are awesome? But did you know that he still loves to hear his people tell him that his deeds are awesome? How many have kids? How many know that your kids love them? Come on. But how many love to hear your kids tell you that you love them? My son decided to ruin my morning, early morning time today and get up at 6, 10 or something. Stinker. But when I wrapped my arms around him, and he wrapped his arms around my neck and he said, Dada. Oh. 
I was okay. Say to God, church, in this hour of chaos and turmoil, say to God how awesome his deeds are. And you know what we usually we're doing in seasons like this and this election and our nation and the nations of the earth? Many times we're just running around scattered like chickens with our heads cut off who don't know where this thing is headed. And we're telling him all of our fears and what he needs to do as if he doesn't actually see what he needs to see while he's reigning on his throne. And we're not telling the Lord his awesome deeds. We're telling him by effect when we operate out of fear like this thing got spun out of control and now we just need to go work harder and rally and all this stuff. And I am not saying we shouldn't rally and care about issues and things and I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for our country. Heck no, I'm not saying that. We're gonna pray for our country on Wednesday night and then the Wednesday after that. I'm not saying we shouldn't care about issues or who wins or whatever, but I am saying there is an issue that's more central to the unfolding of God's plan and purposes on the earth for America and the nations of the earth, and it's the one that God's put on his throne. There, I'm telling you, worship is not just what we do, my goodness, you know, for a few minutes here and there. God wants his church alive on the inside because... They're fixated on his person and on his character, on his deeds, on what he's done, on what he will do, and on the fact that, the, that there's really nothing that can stand against God and his purposes, or no one. All the earth bows down to you. Oh, my goodness. Let me, see, let me read that again. Huh. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing the praises of your name. Whoa. Did you know it's okay to... Believe the word that what he said is going to happen in the future is going to happen in the future. <laughs> Did you know you can pray that way? Did you know that that can fuel your praise and your worship? Come on, people. Did you know that it's a completely appropriate prayer time with you and Jesus when you can just agree with Philippians chapter 2 that one day, Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord? Did you know that you can agree that even when you watch the news or you need to turn it off probably eventually at some point and realize that even though the nations rage, Psalm 2, and they're declaring war against each other and against the one to whom the Lord is, did you know that the Lord's posture is not fretting and frantic and man, I didn't see that coming in America in 2016, but instead the one who's enthroned in Zion on God's holy hill that who has been enthroned and installed and who can never be knocked off or voted out, his posture to the earth as he laughs. Now listen, you think I'm crazy and I don't, I'm, just, I'm just brainwashed. Well, if, if we believe this word is true, then I've got to believe it's true. If it's not true, then we're, we're toast. Are you tracking with me? All right, cool. So Isaiah 66, verse 1. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne. Say that with me. Heaven is my throne. And the earth is my, come on, people, what did it say? <laughs> Heaven is my throne. And the earth is out of control and just hapless, and it's spinning at an uncurable rate, and I just hope they figure it out down there, and I, 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 I must have turned my head for a few years, and I lost track. Church, come on. It's his footstool. 
What do you think of when you think of footstool? Besides like Sunday afternoon after lunch, watching football and sleeping. <laughs> Subordinate, do you see that? I mean, you would think footstool, if it's placed for my feet. <laughs> my sole purpose this morning if our hope is in anything else as God has revealed his purposes and his plans through his son, Jesus Christ, at the end of that rope that we're pulling to, it is a false hope, a fake hope. But if our hope is in Jesus, the king who reigns on God's throne and who will one day return for a pure and spotless bride where we will reign with him on the earth forever, if our hope is in anything else or anyone else, any political this or that, I'm telling you, it is a mist placed hope because heaven is the one who's on the throne's throne and the earth is his footstool and he reigns over it. All right. I love that you're with me, Samuel. Thank you. (laughs) Praise God. Revelation. Let's go there. Everyone's favorite book. No, I'm not going to give you a date when I think Jesus is going to return, so just stop. (laughs) Quit it. No one knows. Only the Father. Say, only the Father. Cool. Chapter 7, after this, verse 9, I looked, and there before me, was a great multitude. Someone say, great multitude. And no one can count. Oh, cool. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. I brought this to help us. I hope I didn't ruin it because my mom bought it for me. Isn't that pretty? Um, he's the Lord of all of it, by the way. Did you know that we have brothers and sisters? The, last, uh, the first Sunday of October is perse- prayer for the persecuted church, International Day. Did you know that we have brothers and sisters over here? Where the Chinese government just ratched up persecution. I got an email from Ivy against the house churches. They're unrelenting, trying to snuff out the move of the gospel. But did you know that the more that they try, the more it grows? Do you think the Chinese church is spending more of their time hoping their guy or gal gets in the office or more of their time on their faces wanting to love and to live for the lamb who was slain? I'm not being cutesy, I'm not guilting us, but do we understand that there's more happening than just what's happening over here in the world? Do we understand that? 
do we understand that the earth is the Lord's and that the Lord Jesus will have men and women and children from every language, nation, tribe, and tongue around his throne someday of those who have dipped their robes in the river of the cleansing blood of the lamb that was slain and who walk in uncompromising, unrelenting, unwavering fidelity in faith before the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know what's happening in America? Right now, the church is being forced to choose whom we will serve. Did you know that? Did you know judgment is released from the Lord? I mean, I don't have time to read those passages. They're not very exciting. But judgment is released from the Lord. It doesn't hit the world first. It always hits his people first because he doesn't, he never, ever, ever just looks at a crowd and says, good, I've got a big rallied people. His eyes of fire always look directly to our hearts to know if there's any oil of intimacy and love in there or if we're empty and just showy. I know you don't have to say amen. This is harsh. I'm not a stinker. I'm just telling you, we need to get our eyes off of all of this and our eyes on the one who reigns and rules. Why? So that we can actually know what to do down here in the chaos. Did you know if your eyes are on chaos, you become what you behold? So if you've been inundating yourself with, this, with articles and all this junk about where we're headed and this and that, and I'm not saying being an ostrich in your, uh, you know, put your head in the sand and just, you know, kumbaya, my Lord, just come, sweet Jesus, return. Uh, but I am saying if you are not tethering that with about 99.9% more in the throne room where the reality of heaven will one day become the reality of the earth, I'm telling you, your equation is off my equation is off if I'm more impressed by the chaos than the king who reigns over the chaos yay they were wearing white robes they were holding palm branches they cried out loud salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb all the angels were standing around the throne around the elders and the living creatures, they fell down on their faces. Did you know that it'd be my, it might be good to return to our faces in this hour? Samuel, I know you're with me, but is anyone else aware of that? Before the throne, and they worship God. Isn't that something? The response is always worship. Do you know if you're bound up in worry and anxiety, you're not worshiping? Hold on, I'll say that again, because I think someone coughed or something. You didn't hear it. If you're bound up in worry and anxiety, you are, you are not in the realm or category or the same sphere as being a worshiper who's trusting the one who has already triumphed and who will finish his cleanup operation one day when he splits the sky. And they said, amen. You know what amen means? <laughs> I like it. This is so good. I love amen. It's way more than just a cutesy word that my son says every night after we pray when I put him to bed. Amen. You know what amen means? We agree. Yes, sir. We agree and so be it. 
Amen. The first response when they're gathered, and by the way, this is the multitude that's been slain and who came through the tribulation, by the way, but their response wasn't bitterness and all bummer, we trusted in God. Their amen is to say the reality that we now see with our eyes, so be it on the earth, because it's the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. You see that. The first word of worship, it is not a new song or a new whatever. It's amen. Amen. We agree with what we see, that there's one on the throne to whom all the nations have bowed and who are proceeding before because he ransomed and purchased and redeemed. He redeemed the nations of the earth when he shed his blood. Amen. We agree. So be it. Praise and glory, wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders said, uh, he asked, I asked the elders, who are these people in white robes? Those who complained and, wait, <laughs> lost sight of who their hope was in and whose lives were riddled by just fear and uncertainty. He said, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes, or they've appropriated by faith the cleansing work of the blood of the Lamb. And there they are, night and day, before the throne. (laughs) And they just, they get to have God be the shelter. They won't ever hunger again. They'll never thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. The lamb at the, say this, the lamb at the center, say center. I like that word, center. The lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and the God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Come on, somebody. It says in 1 Peter 4, and this is where I believe, I believe, I believe in part, this is what the church in America is experiencing I think we're experiencing a lot. Stuart Greaves preached an unbelievable message in Texas where I just was. He said, the issue is not will your hope be strong on November 8th, but will your hope be as strong on November 9th because you have heaven's perspective and not your perspective. It just, every jaw dropped when he said it. It was like, who's your hope in today? November 8th is voting day, in case you're all going, what's November 8th? <laughs> so confused. It's not International Mother's Day, because uh, Dave already told us. For it's time, look at this, in 1 Peter 4. Did you know judgment, most of us, what do you think of when you think of judgment? Fire. Um, fire, okay, that's deep. Whoa, okay, so... I'll answer because that's actually right. But let me, when we, when, when we, usually we think about judgment in a negative light. Are you with me? That's what I mean. We, you understand what I'm saying? We understand judgment in a negative light. But did you know there's another realm of judgment that's not punitive, that's redemptive? When the judgment and the gavel drops from the judge over someone who was accused of doing something, they were found innocent, that judgment is not punitive, it is redemptive, and the person who was accused is set free. 
So when, when, when I believe we're, we're experiencing it. We just are, guys. We just are. I don't want to go. I could just go off into a big old long stage box or soapbox, whatever. I won't because we'll talk about it the next few weeks. For, it says in 1 Peter 4, for it is time, say, for it is time. And remember, Peter's writing to a church that's scattered because the emperor of his day was, he was just bored using regular lanterns and he started lighting Christians on fire. Do we understand that's what's happening when Peter's writing this? Okay, I just want us to understand what's happening. Are we tracking? This isn't like it's popular to be a Christian day. Are you tracking with me? Come on. Hey. Like, we're, we get a tax 501c3, and I get a, I get a tax exempt after all of my giving. You, know, you understand, this is not the situation we are reading about in 1 Peter 4. Just nod your head at me. I'm being a little stinky because the, or funny because the only other alternative is weeping. And he says, for it's time for judgment to begin with the family of God. So it seems that the Apostle Peter interpreted the social situation, the emperor breathing murderous threats against believers, causing them to be scattered and to go underground, but to be true to Jesus. It seems he's interpreting what's happening socially, politically, um, not as, man, God must have went off the handle and lost sight of what's happened on the earth, but as God allowing judgment to hit the family of believers. Why? So that we won't make the same problem that the, those who died in the wilderness for 40 years where we thought we were safe by association but don't have real living faith in our hearts and hope in the one who will never disappoint us. Do you see that there? For it's time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And here's what Peter says. This is so gnarly. And if it begins with us, say it begins with us. What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? You see what Peter's saying? That the judgment and the shaking that we feel in our country, and I'm not a doomsdayer, and I'm, you know, whatever happens in America, and I'm not just saying whatever, like we're not going to fast and pray, because we will, because God cares about this land, amen? He cares about our people, just like he cares about every nation. We don't just go, oh, God is our God, so just forget it. No, we engage in the battle, but with heaven's agenda and perspective. That's the point. That's the point. And no one else's agenda or perspective. Peter's saying that if it begins with us, the weighty hand of the Lord that sifts our hearts to know if we are really in it for him or we're in it just because it's convenient, uh uh-oh, what's going to become of those who don't even know God? That's what he's saying. And then he goes on to say, and if it's hard for the righteous to make it, what will become of the, what of the ungodly and the sinner, those who don't know him, who aren't even you know, washed in his blood and forgiveness? So I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not scared. My heart is more excited to be an unrelenting follower of Jesus than I've ever had in my, in my entire life. I'm not, I'm not grumpy or mad this morning. But I do want the prophetic bell to be rung over our hearts to say if our hope is tethered or tied to anything or anyone or ideology or side or political, anything, it is a false hope and it will fail in the end if it's not tethered to Jesus. And so here's what I think the Lord's doing. Humbly, you can disagree. I mean that totally humbly because I'm I'm just trying to be a, a... uh, a man of Issachar who can discern the times. Know that famous verse in Chronicles where they understand the times. Did you know God doesn't want us? Uh, Ephesians 5, uh, 15 says, 
Uh, be, be very wise then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Uh, don't be foolish. Say, don't be foolish. Does anyone know any fools? Yeah. No, okay. So no one knows. You're not sitting by them. <laughs> don't be foolish. What's the alternative to foolishness? But understand what the Lord's will is. Do you see it? Non-foolishness is not just neutral ground. He's saying, don't just don't be foolish. I want you to understand what I'm doing in the world, what I'm doing, on the, what I'm doing in the earth, and what I'm about to release through a church who will come out of Babylon and become my pure and spotless bride so that I can pour out my anointing fire and glory on her so that cities can be transformed and ready for my return. So the sequence, it's so stunning, the sequence of Revelation, how it ends. I'm not going to go through all of it, just the last few chapters. Um, He talks about Babylon, the prostitute or the beast. And and a lot of Revelation is gnarly in its imagery. And people try to think, is it the chip in my hand? Or is it something that happened when John was actually writing it in the first century? And uh, yeah, okay. So I got that out of the way. One of the first things that has to happen for us to be ready and to be um, not running around chaotically and in fear like like, uh, chickens with our heads cut off, but walking in confidence and in love and in power, amen, right? Because the enemy cringes before the Lord. Come on, we can't forget the first part of the message. And that's not okay when the enemy's more aware of his doom than the church is aware of their victory in Jesus. It's not okay. Genesis 11, Babel. Remember Babel? Tower. What does Babel represent? A failed building project. Amen. (laughs) Babel would prophetically represent the fruit of sin left unbridled and unchecked. Namely, a civilization or culture that instead of having God at the center, it's man at the center. We're not seeing that in our nation. Just kidding. Babel would prophetically represent the fruit of what the first couple ate in the garden brought to its full and intended conclusion. Here's what's gnarly about Babel. Not only were they building a human civilization without God, what were they building? A tower to what? Reach heaven. So Babel would represent... Sin and humanity left unjudged, unchecked, all the way till not only are they satisfied with having a, you know, a colonization, a, what, did Cain, what did Cain name the city uh, when, he went, when, he was, when he killed his brother and he was exiled? He named the city after himself. Right? Someone can check my biblical math on that. But. So Babel prophetically represents, we got this God, no room for you. Right, And so when God sees that, that was nothing new, because in Genesis 6, he saw that every inclination of human's heart was bent on evil and on sin, right? So that's five chapters earlier, but he saw that it was increasing. Did you know that evil can actually increase? Just say yes, and I'll keep going faster. Evil can increase just like righteousness can increase. Woo-hoo! Yay. 
And so evil's increasing because now they're not just satisfied with naming cities after them. Now they want to build something so they can reach the heavens on their own, which, of course, is silly. Not possible, right? Because who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Come on, Psalm 15, Psalm 24. Who can actually ascend to heaven? Only those who have clean hands. Help me out. And those who have and what can a man give in exchange for his soul? The psalmist says, there is no amount of money a man can pay to redeem for his ill workings or his sin. They have to be bought. They have to be redeemed. <sighs> so their project to build something in a structure to reach the heights of their experience was failed to begin with, but God let them go until he said, you know what, no, 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 no. this is getting out of control. Because if they build and finish the tower, I don't know, I'm not saying there's no turning back, but... He comes down, and what does he do? <laughs> he confuses their language, and then, <laughs> right? What is God's next move? His next move, after scattering, is to call a man and to build a family. His next move is, okay, one is going to be born through Abraham who is going to put this thing back on track. Right? Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. The seed is Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. So Babylon in Scripture. Oh, man. We're doing okay. I was just looking at the time. I'm sorry. There's no clocks. It's a good and a bad thing. Mostly good. So Babylon throughout scripture always represents like the antagonist. Are you tracking with me? It's not just a location, although it is a location, literal location on a map, Babylon. But the spirit of Babylon would represent man's temptation and desire to build and foster and then propagate an existence with God on the outside and man and flesh and sin and um, evil and corruption and manipulation and greed and lust to be the driving forces of the economy. You understand? You're tracking with me. So, Because uh, I'm going I'm to talk about where the sequence I believe God is releasing judgment on so that we can be that radiant people ready for his return. woo and not only like ready so we can go hang out in little communities and never talk to bad people or sinners and just kind of wait. And I'm saying people who he can purify on the inside so that no matter the, the despondency and wickedness and adulterous nature of the, on the outside, it doesn't seep into us, but it's what is in us seeps out and transforms culture. So it's not just, oh, Jesus is going to return. Woo, let's just go hang out alone together. No, Jesus Purify me, make me an instrument of righteousness, and send me out with unwavering, unrelenting faith. All right, so the first thing that has to happen in chapter 17 is, is God, um, God says, so Babylon, again, the type and shadow, represents this, this insidious creature and spirit and reality. Declaring war on God's people and Babylon falls in Revelation 17 and 18. And it says, the kings of the earth are sad about it. Why? Because the kings of the earth are in bed with, the, with Babylon, right? The kings, the, did you know the ways of this world are not the ways of our God? Just shake your head at me. We'll get, this is almost done. We're almost done. 
And so when Babylon falls, the prostitute is overcome, again, metaphorically, allegorically. The nations who are drunk by her, by her wine, they, they lament, they weep, because they know the only amount of power that they have is actually false power because it's empowered by this false spirit. But when there is another spirit introduced to the story, namely the spirit of prophecy that bears witness to Jesus Christ, Revelation 19.10, they realize that there's, remember back to Joshua 2, they start cringing because they know there is one more powerful than them. And again, the enemy is always more aware of this than we are, unfortunately. And here's why the enemy's more aware of it. Because we're in bed with Babylon. Did you know that? Did you know God is not okay if you're here and if I'm here today and you're listening online and if you ever come back, holy cow, man. If there's compromise in your life today, and I'm not a perfectionist, good grief, but if there's areas of unrepented sin that you're okay with, I'm telling you, heaven's perspective, he's not okay with it. And we, again, remember Babylon, it's so, it's seeped into the church where we're now we don't even say this kind of sin, it's acceptable, let's ordain those kind. And the, the, you understand, the insid- this is in the house of the Lord, you understand, we are being judged right now by the Lord. It's not the wrong political party, it's the Lord's mercy to say, am I your hope or not? Are you going to believe the gospel or not? You don't want a Christian nation, you want a Christian church. Who affects nations? I'm telling you, it didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't work when they asked for a king and they tried to set up a dynasty and monarchy. It didn't work. The only one fit to rule is the one in whom there is no defilement, King Jesus. Listen, that, no, 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 no. I'm not saying I'm anti, I'm not a a dummy. I know Romans 13. I know all the scriptures about government. I'm not stupid, I promise. So don't write me an email. I know God instills men and women to rule, and I'm saying we should pray for them, and I'm, I'm, you know, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about where's our hope today. We're talking about where's our hope. Where's our hope? So look at this. So, so, so Babylon falls in Re- Revelation 17, 18, and the kings of the earth mourns. And the whole book of Revelation is, is, is John the Beloved trying to write to the church to come out of Babylon. Remember, you know, to come out, that's... that's it's gnarly language. I'm not saying go. The Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, he was really seeker sensitive. And um, someone was supposed to laugh. That was like a preacher joke. And Isaiah 56 and 57, Isaiah says, guys, you have spread, you've opened your bed, and you prostituted. Look at the language that the prophets all use. It's all it's, it's, language. You've prostituted yourself. And I'm telling you, the judgment that's being released that many of us are trying to wiggle our way out of and, just, it's, and we think it's solvable. No, no, no. We need to let the Lord have his way in us so that we can come out of Babylon so that we can be participants of that pure and spotless bride, the multitude we read about. Are you tracking with me? So um, there's a passage in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, be imitators. Okay, say imitators. 
Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, say among you, is he talking to the church or to the world here in Ephesians 5? Help me out. The church, not just a church, theologians think. It was a circular letter, so churches of a region. Okay? So be, so, but among you, say among you, just so you don't forget who he's talking to. And who's that include? There must not be even a hint. Say hint. Uh-oh, you shouldn't have said that. You didn't know it was on the other side. Of sexual immorality. Oh, I'm so not popular right now. I just don't care anymore. I'm sorry. Not even a hint of sexual immorality, impurity. Say impurity. impurity. Or greed, which is really the word. I, 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 I don't know. I forget the actual word. But it's not just greed like I'm greedy for money. It's a word that describes just unbridled passions. I want more and I want it now, right now, than what I currently have. That's the language of that word greed. Does anyone know that word, what I'm talking about? <laughs> and Paul is saying, what is he saying? The, uh, it's okay if you have a little bit? Come on, I'm not being a stinker. I'm just reading the word. You can be mad, I'm, but you're not. Your heart's burning because mine is. A hint? So not even like, it's okay if like it's in measure. And again, I'm not preaching you know, perfectionism because the Apostle Paul, who's a great man in Philippians 3, says not that I've already obtained, but the, what the Apostle Paul did carry was an unlinching, unrelenting, wavering, unwavering faith where he's going, I'm going after Christ with the same tenacity with which he came after me. Right, Philippians 3, 12 through 16. I've not attained all of it, but I'm going, I'm straining forward because he pursued me with unwavering, unwavering, any, every other un kind of word that I'm looking for to, keep, to, to win my heart so that he's won my heart. I'm not just trying to get by with as much sin as I can so I can get through the pearly gates and Peter maybe was coughing and I could slip through. But Peter, I mean, Paul's response is because of what he left and gave up for me, man, I, everything is rubbish compared to that, so I just want to know the one who left everything for me, and I want to leave everything of my old life behind, so I'm straining forward. Amen. So the apostle Paul is just stunning in Ephesians 5, not even a hint, but we're okay with it. I don't even want to do statistics. I, I don't like statistics because they're just grumpy. <laughs> they're just boring. They're just, but they stink because... Because these are improper for God's holy people. That's what he goes on to say in verse 4, right? Duh. Right? You know, Paul, like, thanks, I didn't get that. They're improper for God's holy people. What agreement is there between Belial, a synagogue or, or a house of Satan and darkness, and the temple of God? By the way, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, 1 Corinthians 3, 16. You're the temple. Someone say, you're the temple, you and me. Not this big building on the corner of Stolen, uh, Bradley, and uh, Sierra Madre. You are. Me. You. Me, 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 me. And the Apostle Paul is saying, not even a hint. Why? They're not, it's not proper. If you're my holy people, the people who claim allegiance to the lamb that was slain, not allegiance to a party or to this. Listen, if your hope is in them, of course, a little bit of duplicity because they carry a little bit of duplicity. Come on, somebody. It's okay if that's who you're hoping in, but if you're hoping in me, no, 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 no. What you see in me once has to become a reality in you. So get your eyes off them, get your eyes on me, and don't settle for compromise because compromise is the calling card of our day. But for my people, it is not a card that I'm playing. Oh, mercy. It's hot up here. I'm almost done. 
I'm just trying to encourage us today. Um, these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be, someone say nor, okay, as if, as if the hint paragraph wasn't gnarly enough. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. So what he's saying is who you are on the inside is going to inevitably spill through your mouth. We don't hear any obscenity you know, or scandalous talk today, do we? Between Christians and churches and politi- we don't. So that doesn't apply to us today, so I'll just go to the next part. Because which are out of place, but rather, someone say, but rather, thanksgiving. What? Did the apostle Paul just forget what God was saying? Or like, why would that why does that belong there in the sequence of this passage? What was the response of the great multitude that came through the tribulation? We agree, so be it with who you are, what you've done, what you've accomplished. So, so if you're not entering into all of this, which defines all of your culture that far too often defines my church, which is why I'm writing you this letter, your vocation is to be a thanker who's just inundated, remember Psalm 66, who's inundated with my glory, who's inundated with my mighty deeds, who's inundated by the fact that I would call you to participate in my kingdom agenda and will on the earth. So not only should there not be a hint of sexual morality, impurity, or greed, which are improper for God's holy people, or obscenity, or coarse joking, or foolish talk, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving, because the only place that he wants, our strongest place, is not when we're running around trying to, our strongest place is when we stand, and we look up, and we see the one who has triumphed, and the one to whom all the things are headed, Ephesians 1.9, everything in heaven and on earth will be brought, say will be brought, into unity under the head of the man Christ Jesus. This is not a wishful, man, I hope he pulls it off. I just hope he can, Jesus, I hope you can make it. Thanksgiving. Therefore, let no one deceive you, going on in Ephesians 5, with empty words. There's a lot of empty words being spoken right now. Can I get an amen? And the empty words are what? Hold on, because I'm almost done. The empty words are, it doesn't matter how you live. There's not consequences to your actions. Anyone heard? Is that, you think that's, those are empty words being spoken? Everyone's their own God. The, sort of the indictment of judges that every man does what's right in his own eyes. Those would be empty words. Let no one deceives you with empty words. The empty words of our day is that there is not coming a day of reckoning where we will stand before a holy God and give an account. And the empty words are just eat, drink, be merry, live for yourself, Babylon, babble, build an existence that fits your needs and your preferences and likes. And I'm here to tell you, let no, Jesus through Paul says, let no one deceive you with empty words for because, say because, that's the last thing I'll have you say, because of such things, God's wrath, oh, we don't talk about that ever, comes on those who are disobedient. I'm just quoting the scripture. This is not me. This is all Ephesians 5. So, I like it. After Babylon falls, Revelation's almost over. Oh my goodness, I love this. Come on. When God will purify us and judge us, I'm saying judge not just punitively but redemptively, he'll make an assessment and we'll get on the side that he, that he assesses. Are you tracking with me? 
when he says, hey, this is not how my people live, and we say, you're right, Lord, we repent, and we're sorry, we're getting in line with your kingdom and your heart and agenda. When that, when that judgment is assessed, um, and we come out of compromise, and we come out of um, to buying into the empty words that doesn't matter how you live, there's no one, one you know, there's no judge, it's just you're your own judge, and just do what you want, do what you think, what feels good. If it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. If it makes you, okay. If we come out of compromise, which is just to be a Christian. It's not like it's hard, it's just, Lord, you're the Lord of my life, I don't call the shots. It's not about me or about them or that, it's about your purposes for being fulfilled on the earth and you've, and you've decided to include me in that, that's stunning. And that's why the only response is, and thankful. This is cool. Because <laughs> I know who I am and I know who I am apart from him and that he would, and then, Look what happens in Revelation after Babylon falls. The Lord releases his warrior. Oh. Hold on, no one, no one got that. Look, if we'll come out of Babylon and we'll stop committing prostitute before the Lord and we'll say no to compromise and we'll just say yes to grace, yes to his love, yes to holiness, and it's not just rule keeping. Listen, you, you, our robes are only ever white because of what Jesus does in us and on us and over us and through us. Are you tracking with me? I'm not legalistic. Ooh, 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 ooh. I'm not legalistic. Gross. You can't cleanse yourself, but there is one who can cleanse you. And what happens when Babylon falls and John's trying to write to his church, remember the seven churches, and the, the emphasis of all the messages, don't quit and don't go in bed with Babylon and the culture that surrounds you. Live out of, listen, it's called revelation for a reason. Live out of the revelation of who Jesus is. And when you come out of Babylon, and she doesn't just come, you, she doesn't just fall in the world set, but when you come out of her, I'm going to release my righteous judgment on your behalf. Listen, you don't even believe me. It's just in the Bible. In the next part, Revelation 19, he releases his warrior on the white steed whose name is faithful and true. And he, like, he unleashes his word, which is the plumb line that everyone's knees get lopped off. And that's when we bow. And I'm here to tell you, you can live ready and be a participant now because he's coming with holy ones. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's there. Yeah. He's coming with his holy ones. Cool. And then he judges Satan. Yay, finally. I want you to know he's already judged Satan. Come on, somebody. He's not just running around buck wild, unbridled. Jesus has already overcome. He's defeated Satan. I love uh, Chris Fallotton said, uh, he's defeated and he's disarmed. <laughs> So he's walking around like this, is what I'm trying to say. Okay. Hold on. He's defeated, say it with me, defeated and disarmed. And listen, he's not just getting power from sinners and pagans who continue to live. He gets more power on the earth when the church lives in fear and doesn't know she's a part of the bride. He gets empowered not because he has power in himself. He fell from heaven. Because he was banished over one who was always more powerful. And when Jesus became a man on our behalf, there is a man who was more powerful than him. The man Christ Jesus. 
a man. Yes, he's fully God, but you don't, don't give him the God card. As a man, he fully submitted and lived in reliance upon God as a prototype for us to follow in his path. First John 2, 6. If you claim to live in him, you walk as he did. So, come out of Babylon, church, Cornerstone Church, Chad Bohai, you too. Come out of compromise. Get out of fear. I'm going to release the one who rides with victory in his eyes. <laughs> oh. It's like funny, it's hilarious in Revelation 19. Because he comes with all these holy ones, but it's just the one word from the guy on the horse that destroys the whole. Did you know God didn't like, he doesn't need help being awesome? This side think it's cool. You guys think it's cool too. He doesn't need, he doesn't need help being awesome, but he's looking for partners. So Jesus looks at Peter and he looks at us because Peter's sort of a rock. Petra, the rock on whom. And the issue is always the issue of love. <sighs> Bummer. We talked about it last week a little. Oh, I'll end it. I, I forgot to end it. For, sorry. So he's going to release judgment against the enemy. Judgment of the dead. And then he releases the new heaven and new earth. That's kind of cool if you ask me, I think. Where there's no more tears. Are you kidding me? No more death or mourning or crying or pain. Yes. Thanks, Samuel. I love it. <laughs> or verse 5 of chapter 21. I'm making everything new. Does that sound cool to anybody else? Yes. And he says in verse 6, it's done. I don't know how you need to respond today. I think a lot of us probably need to repent for putting our hope in things or people other than God, probably. There'd probably be plenty of us who would need to respond that way. I think some of us need to come clean and just say, Lord, I am so sorry for living in compromise, where not only am I not even in the category of not allowing a hint, Lord, I've got a lot, and I thought it was just normal because I bought into the voices and the words that are substant lists that say it's okay because everyone's doing it. There's one who's not doing it, and he's the one to whom we must give account. I think some of us need God to just cleanse our hearts, to wash us of our sin and our duplicity. And I think some of us need to get a new mind today, because unlike the enemy who's aware of his certain defeat, we don't really have confidence. We don't have the new mindset, the mind of Christ that says... I've already overcome sin, hell, death, and the grave, and I will definitively, oh, at the culmination of all things, when my church is pure and spotless, I'll return. Did you know he's waiting on us? Did you know that he's waiting, the church that is living and breathing at the return of Christ, you know what she's going to say? Don't return. We want to have a little bit more fun sowing our world oats for a little bit first, living for our own agenda, will, and purposes. We want a little bit of religion and then a little bit of you, but we want to go to heaven someday when we die. Does that sound good, God? Is that cool if we do that? He's like, that's fine. Yeah, I can wait for the next generation. <laughs> I can wait for the next generation. I'll wait for the next generation. I'll wait for the next generation. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm not exactly getting old here. I can wait. 
but the generation, the church that will be ready for the bridegroom because they're watching and waiting. Just read Matthew 24 through 26. It's like every other parable. Watch and wait, watch and wait, watch and wait, watch and wait. How many know that's not just a suggestion? We should be watching and waiting. And how are you prepared? By having oil burning in your heart. So listen, so many of us are consumed with wanting to have a bright and shining light, the parable of the virgins, but did you know God sees right past the glimmer and the glitz and he can see to the vat of oil whether we've got oil or not? And did you know you can't purchase the oil from people It's something you cultivate with the Lord yourself? Dang it. Bummer. Remember the virgins, they came. Can we have some of your oil? Because he's back. He's coming. What did they say? No. I can't, I can't sell it. I can't give you my intimacy that I've cultivated as I've loved the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, where I've walked in uncompromised. I'm not perfect, but I'm staying in the cleansing flow of his blood. I'm staying in the light. I'm not running to the darkness. I'm not buying into the lies of my generation that say it's okay. You won't ever have to call into account. God's really out of control. You need to figure out all your mess. No, 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 no. Listen, beloved, I'm telling you, God is going to come for a church that will say with the spirit, again, the agreement is important, the spirit and the bride say, come. I think that's when the father will go, they're ready. Jesus, they're ready. They're ready. They actually want me. They want me. They love me. They're not perfect, but I'm perfect, and I'm in them, and they're my righteousness. They're not walking in compromise anymore. Even though Babylon, the spirit of the age, is roaring and raging, and the nations are at war with each other, and we're, we're, we're just being inundated with fear tactics, and, and you guys, just, and we just feel like we're going to cower in a corner. But he said, there's a church that's standing in the midst of great adversity and persecution, and the enemy on the outside can find nothing on the inside where he can bolt onto them. Listen, compromise gives him authority to have access to your heart and life. And I love this passage. I love that Jesus in John 14, oh my goodness, he's getting ready to die. He's getting ready to give his life. And in verse 30 of John 14, 29, 30, and 1, he says, the enemy is coming. But he has no hold on me. <sighs> Come on. Why can he say that? Because in no way, in no place of his life is there agreement with the agenda of the enemy. The enemy can come and all he can do is cause me to uh, rely on God and be strengthened by angels, Matthew 26, and then to sit before my accuser and to be silent and even before Pilate who thinks he's the powerful one and, and I tell him my kingdom's not from the world and he says, well, why aren't they fighting for you because yeah, that's not how my kingdom works, dude. And the one who can give up his breath, there was no place the enemy could get a hold of him because there was no compromise in the heart of Jesus. And I'm telling you, Jesus is looking for a partner whom he can marry for all eternity. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, last sermon prop. Woo, this is the Lord's. He's in charge. The nations rage, but God has a king. And 
God's inviting us to participate in his will and agenda in this hour in America and in the nations of the earth. Who wants to partner with him this morning? Could you just come forward? No music. I'm not doing emotional. If you need to come forward in any way to come out, to repent, to be cleansed, I want you just to come forward and stand with me. Anybody, you just say, Chatty, I'm done. My hope has been in this party or that person or that platform. I want my hope to be in Jesus. I want a new mind today. Emily, if you can just come and play on the, on the piano, that'd be awesome. Chad, why do we have to come? Why can't we just sit in our chair? Well, because scripture says, come out from among them. Look, I'm just going to read it because you won't believe me. Come out of compromise, church. I'm, all of us. What does he say? He said, what agreement is there? What agreement? Again, the word agreement. It's so, it's everywhere, darn it. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols. For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. How many want that to be the reality of your life and the reality of our church? I know there's more that need to come forward, but I'm not, I don't care, it's okay. Are you kidding me? Out of compromise, unwavering faith, devotion, purity of heart and devotion in life. Your hope has been in other things but the Lord Jesus. If that's you and you want to put your hope in Jesus today more than any other person, platform, or anything or agenda, then I want you to come. It's important. It's not just let's rally. It's important. And he says, I will be their God and they'll be my people. When? When they walk in undiluted affection and devotion with me. When they stop living in agreement with with the idols. I'll walk with them. The fruit of repentance is we get God. Woo! All right. I will be their God. Therefore, here it is, verse 17. Come out. Look at that language. It's the same language as Revelation. Come out of Babylon. Come out. Come out. And be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. 2 Corinthians 6, 18. I will be a father to you. Come on. And you will be my sons and daughters, declare the Lord. Therefore, what's the therefore for? This for therefore, what's therefore? Because we have these promises, what promises? That God will live with us, that God will walk with us, that he'll be our God, that we'll be his people, that he'll be a father to us and we'll be his sons and daughters. Because we have these promises, let us purify ourselves from everything, there's the word again, everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness, how? By trying harder? No, but by revering God. Come on. So Lord, we stand before you. We just stand. God, we come forward because we wanna come out of compromise today. We just bow before you, Lord. We repent. Come on, just pray your own prayer. It's okay, it doesn't have to be loud, but just cry out to the Lord today for mercy on our land and mercy on his church, mercy on our church, where we've tolerated duplicity and idols in areas that are not kingdom, and we just call them our preferences, and the Lord is not okay with it. Father, come in mercy. Cleanse us and purify us this morning. There is a king on a throne, 
And the earth is his footstool. And the nations are his inheritance. And there's nothing that any political party, any nation or agenda or purpose can thwart the one to whom all things will bow. The one to whom all things will be brought to complete unity under the head who is Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And God, we come out of Babylon. We've come out of compromise today. Lord, we're done staying hidden in shame and in sin and idolatry. We want to walk as a radiant, pure, and spotless bride. Come on, church. It is not your identity and destiny to walk in fear or shame or condemnation. You're meant to walk with a head raised, with the oil of gladness dripping down your face because of the sweet, tender fellowship between you and King Jesus. That is your identity, church. Cornerstone Church is to walk in complete confidence of who you hope in and who you are in him. And so, Lord, we just stand. We are here before you. Come in cleansing fire. Just pray that, that just purging, cleansing fire. And purify us, God. Just ask the Lord right now, not just to send the cleansing fire, but to send the rain of refreshment. Come on. It's not just we got to walk around feeling bad. He wants to purge us so that he can fill us with rivers of living water so that water can be springing forth in desert places of our nation, of our city, of our families, of our neighborhoods and workplaces, even of our church, that a river of refreshment could flow through us. Come on, and then I just want us to cry out that we would put our hope in the one who will never fail us. Come on, someone needs to ask for a new mind today. Someone needs to ask for a new mindset today. Someone needs to have him scrub our minds with the water of his word again so that the narrative we listen to is not motivated by insecurity and fear tactics, but it's motivated by confident assurance and the one who promised who is faithful and he will do it. The one who holds. Listen, it says in 1 Corinthians 15 that one day, and in Revelation 13, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to hand the kingdom of this, kingdoms of this world over to his papa. Guys, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And already, all around the nations, there's a bride that's getting ready all over the world. Whoa! All over the world! All over the world, a bride is standing up, even in the midst of fear and persecution. And they're not bowing to Babylon. They're living for the bridegroom king. They're living with faith. They're living with hope. Lord, nothing can snuff out what you want to do in us. And that's what scares the enemy more than anything, Lord when we come out of our compromise. So Lord, just, have, just break ties with Egypt in our hearts. Come on, pray that prayer. Lord, break ties with Egypt and Babylon in my heart. That place of slavery, that place of, of hiddenness, that place, Lord, of secrecy. Would you break it off of our church family today, Lord? I declare it in Jesus' name, you would do it. Break it off that we could walk. We could walk boldly and confidently in humble obedience before you, Jesus. Be imitators, be imitators of God. 
just like my son and my daughter, they mimic their daddy. That's our identity. We're, we're meant to mimic and to replicate and live Jesus in our day, in our time, in our church, city, family, and in this nation and the nations of the earth. So Lord, we just say yes today. We just say yes to your invitation to be your bride. Oh my goodness, woo! To be one with God, are you kidding me? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Look at this in Ephesians, in Acts chapter 19. Watch this. This is the word of the Lord. I sent it in my email. I'm not going to preach. Stay standing. The rest of you can stand if you don't mind. That'd be fine because I'm going to dismiss this here. If we could all just stand really quick. So Paul is in Ephesus. And he finds 12 guys in one of the biggest, most important cities of the entire Roman world. And instead of being bummed that all he has is 12 to work with, and a pagan, idolatrous, I mean, prostitution on every side of the street, the slave market running right down center of town. This is Ephesus. And he's got 12 guys to work with, and instead of being like, man, I need the moral majority, this is a bummer. He lays hands on them. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. How many know we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? You can't imitate God, Ephesians 5, 1, if you're not filled continually with God, Ephesians 5, 18. Woo. Be imitators and be filled. Be imitators, that's the sequence. But look what happens in Ephesus. I love this. So 12 men get filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul starts meeting with them, i.e. discipleship. He starts teaching them the ways of the kingdom. Because the kingdom of this world is different than the kingdom of the age and the one that's coming. It's just different. They are miles apart, galaxies apart. So we need training and teaching. Hallelujah. Yay. The church kicks Paul out. The synagogue kicks him out. They don't want what he's bringing. They don't want the kingdom. They don't want Jesus. So Paul calls a committee and gets super grumpy and just starts having a defeatist mentality and He sees another empty gathering space, the Hall of Tyrannus, and says, this is a perfect place to meet. If I can't meet in the synagogue, I'm gonna meet somewhere else because nothing can stop the work of God's kingdom. <laughs> Even if they take away our building someday, nothing. Listen, they don't have buildings and the church has only grown by about 80 million in a few years in China. I'm not just saying I am, but I am just saying, I am elevating our brothers and our sisters around the world because they're my family. <laughs> I'm proud to be related to the church that meets underground in China. I'm proud. I don't have faith like them yet, but I'm proud. We're in the same family. Woo, I like it. I'll be proud to boast in my family around the world that walks in faith greater than me and purity greater than me. I'm not jealous of them, but I want to be like them. Woo. Anyway, back to Ephesus. And instead of getting grumpy and complaining that the government doesn't go his way and he just finds a place where they can keep meeting and talking about the kingdom. <laughs> and live the kingdom. Yes, sir. Watch this. This is the Bible. This is the word of God. <laughs> oh, wow. Where am I going? There we go. For two years, he did this. <sighs> For two years. Two 
How many, how many like make it past day number 10 on your commitment for January 10th? How many would say part of why I'm standing is because I want God to put a resolve and perseverance in my spirit today? Come on. Because we're weak. Are we weak? That's a, that's a compliment because when we're weak, he's strong. So it's a compliment. I mean. Two years he did this. He didn't quit. Golly, I love him. He's my older, 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 older brother in the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles, not just like decent miracles, but extraordinary miracles. That's cool. But when God started breaking out like this, people wanted to be in on by association what Paul carried. Children of Israel, it's nothing new. We still do it by association instead of having to get it ourselves by faith and trust in Jesus. And so some people started going around because they found out that Jesus' name is powerful. Hello, it's still powerful. It hasn't lost its power, church. Come on. This is another sermon. I'm sorry, but I'm almost done. And they started going around saying to demon-possessed people, in the name of Jesus, that, that Paul guy preaches, I command you to come out. <laughs> Association is not enough, is it, church? The name of Jesus is powerful on the lips of a person whom Jesus is being formed in their inner man. So this one demon-possessed person whips the smithereens out of seven sons of a Jewish priest, Sceva. So seven on one, they, listen, Scripture says they, got, they, they, they took such a beating, they ran out of the, the house naked and bleeding. Oh, my goodness, whoa. Seven on one, because they thought they could just call down something because it didn't matter who they were on the inside. They thought it was just by association with a name or a party. I'm not preaching today. Come on. And they walk out bloody and naked, Bible, because they didn't actually know the one to whom they were saying on their lips they claimed to know. I'm just saying God sees right through it all. He just does. But watch, I love it. Woo. When this became known to Jews and Greeks, they were seized with fear. As you know, fear is not a bad thing. Fear gets a bad name when it's by, motivated by fear of the enemy. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When we got a right, that's why, listen, we're supposed to look heavenward and fear can grip us. It's not the ultimate motivator, but it's the start of a motivational life that's sustainable in the love of God. But it starts with, oh man, I'm not like him. Fear, whoa. Fear gripped the church. And the name of the Lord was held in high honor. Look at that. We can slander our culture and say they defame the name of Jesus, but until we start honoring his name, our words are powerless. In fact, they're religious and they push him farther away than it's meant to intend to draw them closer. You see that? That's a good word. This is its own sermon, I'm sorry. But verse 18, here it is. Many of those who believe now came and they openly confessed what they had done or their duplicity. A number who had practiced sorcery, Ephesus, a culture, a cultural center of sorcery and adultery. A lot of them thought it was okay to confess Jesus, but they had remnants of their old life in their, in their home, in their possession. But they came and they openly burned publicly those areas of compromise in their life. Look at this. The value was 50,000 drachma. That some, ex, some experts think that's about 5 million modern day. So it, co it cost them something. Did you know it cost something to follow Jesus? I'm not a, I'm not a, 
Oh man, it's a narrow way, whatever. I'm just saying Jesus said it. But look what happened when the church came out of compromise. Verse 20, this is our word for us as we go. In this way, in what way? When the church said, I'm done hiding, I'm done. I'm done hiding in shame. This is so stupid. This is the most miserable life, trying to be kind of good, but kind of bad, kind of calling shots, kind of Lord, kind of not, just being religious. It's a really, really crummy existence, amen? In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and it grew in power. Come out of Babylon, Revelation 18. Why? Because I'm gonna send the one who rides on the horse, Revelation 19. I wanna send my power to you, but you gotta come out of compromise first because I don't want you to get thinking that you did what I've called you to do on your own. You need me to accomplish my purposes. Imagine that. And this way, the word of the Lord grew wide, it spread widely and grew power. How many wanna see it to spread widely in Santa Maria? Come on widely in the five cities, widely in San Luis and Santa Maria, Santa Barbara County, widely in the state of, come on somebody, who wants to see it spread widely in the state of California? Who wants to see the word of the Lord and the power of God spread widely in America? Who wants to see it spread widely in the nations of the earth, everywhere we go, everywhere a believer goes, come on. So Lord, we stand, you just lift your hands as an act of simple surrender. It's just an act. But Lord, we surrender and we just say, like the church in Ephesus, we come out of compromise. We no longer are satisfied with just trying to follow you by association with somebody else or some church or some denomination or some party. Lord, we want to know Jesus ourselves. So Father, I pray as our hands are raised and surrender that God, you would consume the sacrifice of our life and we would walk out of this place with fire in our bones that we couldn't hold it in, but everywhere we go, the word of the Lord and the power of God would be displayed in our lives and through our lives because, Lord, we're burning our scrolls. Even though it's costly, maybe it was a nest egg or retirement, but, Lord, we say it's not worth it if on the end of the day we don't know the one we claim to know. Lord, we want to know you and the power, look at this, the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your sufferings, Lord. That's the church we want to be in this corner. If you're with me, can you say amen? Amen.